This is iUniverse Radio, brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is your opportunity to hear firsthand from authors about their new books. It's an in-depth discussion about the author's passion about the development of his or her story in their own words. It's an inside look into the characters and the plot and how the story all came together. Here is iUniverse Radio. The title of the book, Leading the Way, Behaviors That Drive Success, and the author is Paulette Ashlin, and Paulette joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Paulette. Hi, Steve. How are you? Great to have you with us, Paulette, and becoming a leader, very challenging, and yet, as you point out in your book, it's within many, many people, but they need to learn to, well, I guess, learn the principles and work at it. It just takes work to become a leader. It does, especially in terms of behavior, because many leaders, especially many of my clients, are extremely successful And the leadership DNA is there in them. So it's just a matter of being aware of successful leadership behaviors. And I coach them to understand that behavior is something they can control because they can't control genetics, they can't control IQ or situations or the economy or world events or even stock prices, but they can control their behavior. So it's a matter of their choosing to be a good leader. They can choose to be an even better leader. And really, it's really that simple. Great leaders, as you point out, are really great performers, even we might call them great actors. Uh, Before we get into explaining that, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and why you wrote the book? I've worked in large corporate settings, mid-sized corporate settings, and small companies. I've been a cost center. I've been the head of a P&L. And as I've interacted with wonderful, incredible leaders around the world, and I've had the privilege of coaching some of them, the one thing that struck me about these great leaders is that they all have a common behavior. They have common behaviors that drive their success. And that's why the book is called Leading the Way, Behaviors That Drive Success. And so I wanted to describe those fundamental behaviors of great leaders. Well, let's talk about becoming a great leader. Why do you say you have to be a great actor or performer to be a great leader? Uh, Great question. Uh, The book begins by describing and defining the behavioral model to leadership. If, If you've had any psychology in your background, you know that behaviorism talks about rewards in in terms of behaviors and the fact that people can change their behaviors if they're motivated enough to change, if they get those rewards, if they know how to change. So we begin with describing the behavioral model, and we end the book by describing that the fact that leaders are great performers. And that is, I mean, if you think about your daily life, when you walk into the office every day and you're not wearing your heart on your sleeve or you're not acting in a way that you really, that this, that describes your mood, you're acting. Whenever you're trying to influence employees, boards of directors, customers, you're acting if you're trying to influence them. So we describe common behaviors and define the behaviors in operational terms that 
that revolve around self-awareness, self-control, empathy, humility, integrity, personal stewardship and communication, and even global intelligence. So it just takes motivation. We've got to be motivated enough to change, and often change is something really tough to swallow for a lot of people to change. Exactly. First of all, if they have to change something, they need to know what it is, and that's why the first chapter in the book is about self-awareness. And there are descriptors and there are ways, methodologies for finding out what behaviors need to be enhanced, which ones need to be kept, and which ones need to be changed. Then there's also the motivation to change. I think you you got that. What exactly is motivating different people to change and working with that? And then the third component is knowing how to change. Very often people know they have to. They see the writing on the wall. They're not quite sure why people are responding in certain ways to them, but they don't know what to do about it. They don't know how to change. And so your book walks through all these different principles self-awareness, self-control, empathy, humility, integrity, personal stewardship, communication, global intelligence, acting the part. It covers just about every aspect of what to change. Almost every. I mean, I'm sure you could come up with many, many more, but those are common behaviors and characteristics, attributes that my colleagues and I have pointed to over the years. We've concluded that a behavior is really an element, a defining element of success and failure in a leadership. So, for example, I've known some wonderful and very intelligent, well-intended leaders derail in their careers because of some of their behaviors. And conversely, I've known some not very intelligent, not very well-intended people rise to leadership positions because of behaviors. So the book is about how to take on this principle of of behaviorism and use it to one's benefit in a very positive way to influence people, to have people follow you over a hill, not knowing what's on the other side. And that aspect of self-control, that is probably one of the disciplines that many of us, I think about every person would remember a time when they didn't keep their self-control and all the negative consequences. Oh, absolutely. Especially many, many leaders have risen to leadership levels because they've been drivers, they've been very energetic, results-oriented, to the detriment of some relationships. And they do lose some self-control. So there are tips in the book on how to regain self-control. But on the other hand, we also talk about neither end of the spectrum is really good. You don't want to have too little self-control, and you don't want to have too much self-control, because guess what happens when you have too much self-control, or you exhibit too much self-control. People seem robotic. They're not human. So we talk about a delicate balance, all to influence people to follow your lead. You talk about in that self-control the three-second rule. Why don't you give us a little tidbit on that? (laughs) (laughs) The three-second rule is very much like breathing and counting to ten, only it takes less time. It's three seconds. Basically, it's whenever you're you recognize a trigger that's going to perpetuate a kind of behavior that you don't want to manifest, count to three, whether it's shooting out that destructive email, whether it's responding negatively to somebody or just losing your cool, count to three. It's easier than ten. It sounds really simple, but it's, it's harder than you think. 
You've had over a decade of executive coaching. As you look over those many years, do you sense what you're advocating here? Is this for everyone, no matter what their level of executive leadership that they're in? Yes. If people are already leaders, whether they're CEOs or presidents, the book will validate some of their constructive and great behavior. If someone aspires to a leadership position, it'll teach them how to behave to become a leader. So it really is for anyone, entry-level people all the way up to CEO. So this is a step-by-step process. Uh, These principles that you have in your book, you're saying that we need to get to be good performers of these principles. That's exactly right. Well, first of all, there there are some assumptions made. The assumptions are that you know what you're doing, that you're smart enough, that you are competent and perform well technically in your job. The book is about behaving in a way that supports all of those competencies. And it also builds on other competency-based leadership principles. You know, once you know your strengths and weaknesses, what to do about them. So it makes those assumptions, and it's a step beyond. It actually tells people how to behave themselves into leadership and actually stay in leadership. So you mentioned acting. One thing that did strike me in the decade-long coaching world is the fact that great leaders are great performers. They know how to project their voices, how to control their body language in front of crowds and even one-on-one. They know how to motivate people and inspire people. And some of the best leaders are very charismatic. They're not necessarily extroverts. Many great leaders are introverts, but they are great performers. They can compensate for the introversion by being great actors, and that's how they motivate people. So it's much more than just understanding your strengths and weaknesses. Exactly. Understanding them is the first step. The second step is knowing how the strengths and weaknesses are being perceived by other people. And the third step is knowing how to change perceptions through behavior. It's very similar to what actors do. They understand their roles, and they're very self-aware. They know how they're projecting to an audience. So there are lots of analogies to acting. Integrity, the importance of it. Please help us understand. Oh, yes. When I do 360-degree interviews on behalf of my coaching clients, a 360-degree interview is called a 360 because I interview people all around a person. So it's a 360-degree angle. I interview subordinates, superiors, and peers. One of the questions I always ask is, please rate this person on integrity, and how do you define integrity? Because integrity is the most misinterpreted trait among leaders from my experience because the definition of integrity changes around the world, even within a corporation. There are subcultures. Everybody agrees that integrity is an essential attribute of great leadership. The interpretation of integrity changes, so that's why I have a chapter in the book that defines globally understood behaviors of integrity. For example, telling the truth, not throwing somebody under the bus, and so on and so forth. So There's an acknowledgement that integrity is very important in leadership, but then in the book we describe actual behaviors that have been defined by people that define great leaders. And what do you mean by global intelligence? Global intelligence is the awareness of what's going on beyond your immediate environment. It encompasses the awareness and the understanding of different groups of people, whether 
locally, outside your company, or globally. And that's because the world has become incredibly small. And from our experience and from my coaching, the best leaders know what's going on around the, the world so that they can relate to their constituents, the employees in their company, their boards of directors, their shareholders. They're very much aware. Now, they don't have to have a deep dive in everything that's going on. That's impossible. You don't have enough time to figure out what's going on everywhere around the world all the time. But they're globally aware, and they're intelligent enough to have a very good conversation and to be able to relate to people following them over that proverbial hill. You quote Vince Lombardi, leaders aren't born, they're made, and made through (laughs) hard work. And that's what you've been instructing us on, Paulette. Tell us how to get your book, Leading the Way. It is available at iUniverse.com and also on Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com. Well, thank you so much for joining us on iUniverse Radio. Thank you. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Congratulations on being the proud owner of an adorable, soft, cuddly, sweet-smelling, smiling, cooing, hungry, tired, gassy, screaming little bundle of joy. So now what? Where's the owner's manual for this thing? Where are my instructions? Right here. It's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Infant care specialist Blythe Lipman has worked with babies for over 20 years and works extensively with new parents providing workshops, in-home visits, tips, and daily phone calls to ease those frazzled nerves. With Baby and Toddler Instructions, you can get the advice you need on how to survive and enjoy your baby's first year. For more information on Blythe and how she can help you, go to babyinstructions.com. From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying to 14 ways to get a baby to eat and so much more, it's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio. Greetings from iUniverse. This is Jay Douglas Barker. The book is titled, I Am Omnipowerful, the most powerful person on earth. And joining me from Georgia in the United States is doctor and author, Dr. Otto Umana. Thank you, sir, for joining me today. Thank you very much, Jay, for inviting me. This is interesting on many levels. First of all, you are a medical doctor, but this book deals with uh, spiritual relationships, and uh, that is uh, the sense of your book. Talk to me a little about it. You have uh, written the powerful explanation in the title, I Am Omnipowerful. Where did that title come from, and what is the background into why this title is important? Well, I I grew up in Africa, and um, you have a lot of things. You have uh, people dying, and a lot of things happening. They say it's from, like, spiritual forces, like um, witches and voodoo and all that stuff. Mm. So sometimes people grow up with this notion, with this fear of the power of the devil. And um, I grew up, um, I went to one church one day, and they told me, look, you're going to die. And I said, "Why why should I die? Who... Where is God? They said he's the most powerful person. You know, I've not done anything wrong. You know, I um, I live a normal life. You know, I, I'm helping people. You know, why should, you know, so I started searching. And then I met a man that said, like, that God is more, the most powerful person. 
in the church. And I started searching the Bible and praying. And I've seen miracles, you know, things that I've not, you know, things that hospitals could not do. Science could not help people, and people got healed by the power of God. So I started searching, and I believe, and I'm absolutely convinced that, you know, the creator of the universe, the most powerful person, is God himself. Your book is very positive. It deals with a lot of things besides the uh, the medical aspects of life, but also especially the, the spiritual side of life. Who were your influencers? Uh, what what was it in either a church setting or in your uh, your upbringing that caused you to have a positive attitude? I um I had four I had three brothers and one sister. I still have them. One of them got uh, paralyzed when he was um, twelve years old. Um, he came back from school just sick with um, throwing up, became unconscious, and by the time when he woke up, he became paralyzed. Uh, my my mom, my parents took him to hospitals and several places, and then after about a year, they gave up. And uh, my mom had a dream. In the dream, it said, "Look, the the most precious thing God gave you is dying, and you're sleeping. Take him to that church, and he's gonna, you know, you'll see the glory of God." In that church, you know, there was a word from God, you know, a message that said, "What do you need help, or do you just come, did you just come here to visit?" So she said she needed help. They said, bring him with fasting and prayer. Within 12, within, you know, 10 hours of being there, when they came back home, he had sensation in his legs, and, you know, he could stand up. And the next day, next few days, we were playing soccer. Amazing. So that just caught my attention, you know, to the power of God, you know, what God can do. And I started searching, and I saw a lot of miracles still growing up in Africa. There's a question that I have, uh, having been a church attender and involved in uh, those kinds of activities all my life, and some churches that believed in miracles, there doesn't seem to be a, a lot of physical evidence in the United States. And you mentioned Africa. Is it because there is a simple faith there, or is it because people in the United States have just uh, strayed from their faith? It is not because they have strayed, but, you know, in Hebrews chapter 11, he said that, you know, for God said he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So, you know, in in Africa, people have no medical insurance. Mm. People have no, they don't, some of them do not have any means of having the next meal. So you have someone fasting and praying and believing God for the next meal, believing God for that they cannot even go to a hospital to heal their sick. And God is a rewarder of faith. It doesn't matter who the person is. When you seek God diligently with all your heart and ask him, he does not turn anybody down. And that is what I see as a big difference. We have medical insurance. We have hospitals. We have Medicaid. We have food stamps. You know, you take it to the next level. You know, we have cancer centers. We have big hospitals, you know. And so where is your hope? Where is your trust? So we put our trust in all these things. And, okay, sometimes it doesn't work. And then we say, God. And, you know, there's a little, there's some doubt. So God is the one that does miracles. Not because people are too strong. They are too hopeful. They fasted too much. But he does it. He does what he wants. So we are nobody's in charge of it, you know. So, but I've seen I've seen miracles here in the United States. Mm. Some things I cannot say because I'm a physician, 
I've seen people that, babies that he did not expect them to live and they survived. I've seen, you know, people beat cancer. So I believe that medical knowledge is from God too. So the people that you, that you perform surgery on, you know, you see with cancer, you, you don't think they're going to survive. They make it and it, it baffles you. You know, some people are just, they're not talking about it because they want to be politically correct. Right. But it's not something that I can close my mouth because I've seen too much and, you know, I just, it's good to share about it and people can have some hope and some help. You, your book is under 100 pages and the title, I Am Omnipowerful. What was it that caused you to want to share your stories and share your book? What What was it that gave you the desire to do so? I work with um, some um, some guys in Amarillo, Texas, when I first came to the United States, you know. That was in the year 2000. And, you know, there was one guy, that uh, particular guy, that had epilepsy. And he was so worried about it, you know. He, he had lost hope about certain things. When I asked him about when he's going to get married or if he had, he said, look, I have epilepsy. Like he started losing hope about everything. Mm. You know, so I said, I said, you know, are you, are you taking your medication? He said, yes, they walk sometimes. So I said, have you prayed? So I was encouraging him that God can do anything, you know, because I believed it myself, you know. So one day, you know, we came and some guys started talking. And when I talked about it, one, you know, one guy that had not even said anything to me before, he came and said, look, you've been talking about God for so long, you know, since you came to work here. And I want you to tell me, is there anything that you've seen God do apart from the ones you read in the Bible? You know, and all of them came and surrounded me, five guys. They said, I need to tell them what I've seen or I should not talk about God anymore. Mm. So I was shocked. So I closed my eyes, looked down when I, when, I, when I opened my eyes again. I remembered my brother and I told him, I told him about my brother. You know, he was like our best friend, our model, Yes. you know, and I remembered how this guy could not walk. He had to be carried. He had to use the bathroom, and, you know, someone had to take him to the bathroom, bathe him, and clean him up. And I remember the people that I saw, the asthma that I had, and I got healed, you know, at a crusade. You know, the crusade by held by T.L. was held by T.L. Osborne in 1972. I right. went to that crusade. My mom took me there. Mm. And I remember the people that got out of their wheelchairs and people that were blind at that crusade and they, they could see. So I remember this thing. I wrote this book, I started writing in 2007 because I did not want to forget it because I met more people. When I finished talking, started when I started talking halfway, they said, okay, they shook some, shook hands with me, some gave me a hug and they said, okay, we want to hear more, but let's get to work, you know? Mm-hmm. So th- that is why I decided to write the book, you know, because I still see a lot of people, they've lost hope. They don't trust God. They don't believe He exists. Of course, there are a lot of things, because it's difficult to believe in who you do not see. You know? You you, want to see. People want to prove it. People want things to be scientific. But that's why I wrote that, because we have help. The man is not far away from us. People people don't want to go to church or talk about God or find God because they think they're not good enough. But God is not like that. God is not after our good deeds. He loves us just the way we are. You know, he loves us. He sacrificed the best person he had, Jesus Christ, for us. Because he knows we are frail. He knows we are weak. He knows what we face here. 
He loves and understands us more than we do. And, you know, all we need to do is just reach out and, you know, I want God, I want to know you, you know, and just respond to that love. And, you know, we have a lot of help from him. You have uh, a total of nine chapters in your book. They're not long. Again, it's under 100 pages, probably closer to 70 or 80. You have uh, titles such as The Priceless Gem, The Transforming Power. Chapter 3 is called Blindness. Now, is that a physical uh, event that you are recounting there, or is that a spiritual event? No, that's a, a physical and spiritual event. This person was not blind, but this person, I, I would say, was, spiritually, was spiritually, spiritually blind. The reason I said that was, is that this lady did not have a child. She had been married for over 20 years. She was 38 years old and never had a menstrual period. Someone mm. told him to go to a, a, a physician, to go to a pastor in a church. And the pastor, after she had been to all the hospitals, she had spent all the money, nothing worked. When she went to the pastor, she prayed. he prayed for her. That same month, she had a menstrual period. She got pregnant. And this person said, I don't believe in God. Wow. So I delivered her baby, and she told me the story. And I, I, I know the pastor. I know this, the church. I know the person that told her to go to that church. And I'm, what is wrong? It is recorded in the Bible that the God of this age, who is the devil, has blinded us so we would not see the power and the glory of God. That is in the book of Romans. You know? So with this, there's spiritual blindness that people, there's a shade covering people's eyes. I don't know if we call it some subconscious. So we do not, some people do not see the power of God. They do not believe in God. And until somebody can just, sometimes we have to pray for people for that shade to be removed, for that blindness to be removed. And then people will have help, will embrace his power, his peace, and his love. When you wrote this book, uh, who would you describe for us the the ide- the ideal reader? Is this someone that needs to be a church-going person, a person that already is a person of faith, or is this something that may be for those who are, would call themselves seekers? Um, I would say self-seekers, Christians, people that are already going to church, people that want to know, people that are searching, everybody. Because, I've, you know, when I wrote it in 2007, I didn't do anything. When I started writing, I left it alone. And later, I was discouraged about my business, and I took it up and read it, and it really helped me. Mm. You know, I, I got a lot of discouragement, you know, even with my prayer life and reading the Bible. You know, I got really slack, you know, just walking every day, going back tired, you know, going to church when I have the time because I deliver babies at night. And... The book really encouraged me. It really, and so I went, you know, it helped me to come back. And that's when I picked the book and started writing. And because if it could encourage me, I know it could encourage somebody else. So well, that, I started writing it again. Thank you, Doctor, for sharing your story. The title of the book, again, is I Am Omnipowerful, subtitled The Most Powerful Person on Earth. And my guest has been Dr. Otto Umana. Sir, where can my listeners get a copy of your book? They can get the book from iUniverse.com or Amazon, you know, or Google Books. You know, it's, it's, it's out there. It's just It's simple, you know. 
Fabulous. Thank you for sharing your story and sharing these uh, inspirational moments that have uh, been a part of your life. Are you planning to do a sequel? Is there another book in the works? Yes, sir. I am currently um, writing another book. You know, it's about the some kidnapping I've seen in Africa, and I'm going to do um, Omni Powerful too, too, also. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Well, thank you for sharing your time and your story. Again, the author, Dr. Otto Umana, U-M-A-N-A, if you're doing a search online. Again, the book is called, or titled, I Am Omnipowerful. Thank you, sir, for joining me today and taking time out of your busy schedule to share your story. Thank you, Jay, for having me. My pleasure. Honored to visit with you. For iUniverse, this is Jay Douglas Barker. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Do you ever wonder if you're the only woman who runs errands in her yoga pants so it will look like she went to the gym? Or how about the only mom who feeds her kids raw cookie dough? Or are you the only one who cooks her family cold cereal for dinner? Do you need more laughter and less loudness? More self-love and less self-loathing? More joy and less judgment? You're not alone. Come to The Living Room, a place where we get comfy, candid, and confident together. Come seeking sanctuary and leave feeling renewed. We're saving a seat for you. Give yourself some living room today. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio. The title of the book, The Four Gates, a saga of the human being on the path from the pit of despair to the realm of fulfillment. From confusion to clarity, culminating in the deepest realization, and the author is Dr. Erhard Vogel, and Dr. Vogel joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Welcome. Well, thank you very much. Great to have you with us, Dr. Vogel. Yes. Well, first of all, let's start with the purpose of this book. Why did you write it? What was the motivation? Well, um, I was living in a cave in the Himalayas for an extended period of time in complete silence, uh, and I experienced such beautiful clarity, and just everything I ever wanted was, was in my experience, and I feel, felt this deep joy. In fact, that's where the word bliss would come in. And I thought, the thought came to me about people at home and how much suffering of anxiety and fear and depression is characteristic in many parts of our world. And this suffering is completely unnecessary if people just would know how to and what to actually do. So I'm not talking about some, you know, uh, learning some belief system now, but I'm talking about learning actual ways of being that people can institute to live full of vitality and joy and positivity and real success. And that is in relationship with themselves as well as everyone and everything around them. So that's why I felt a need to return to my culture 
here in the U.S. and demonstrate through direct experience and through living the life of driving cars, paying taxes and so on, how to live with all those circumstances and conditions but with self-empowerment and being self-directed toward your success and your fulfillment. So this particular book comes from a series of talks I gave when a person who was probably the greatest living sage of his time, a luminous person, who had been a friend of mine for over 30 years. He came to visit me at our ashram, Nataraja Ashram. So wherever he went, a large international following would attend. So we, we split our... It was a, a week-long residential retreat, and we split our duties. I would teach in the morning, he in the afternoon, next day, vice versa, and so on. So when it came to giving my first teaching, uh, I sat down in front of all those people from all over the world, and I didn't know any of them. So I thought to myself, what do I say to them that starts out... <clears throat> with the most fundamental knowledge they need in order to live meaningfully and successfully. So it occurred to me, and I said to them, some people like to gain knowledge through just plain fact. Others through a story. So I'll tell you a story of fact. So I made up, while I'm talking to them, I made up this saga of somebody who lives in a realm of despair and murkiness, lack of color, joy. And in that despair, she eventually scrambles out of the hole and sees in the distance a realm of color and beauty and wonder. And this inspires him to make the trek there. And then when he finally gets there, he finds difficulty how to enter, and a guide shows up. Now, you may have noticed I'm, I'm using he and she interchangeably here, as it is in the book as well, because this is beyond genders. So the guide leads her through four stages of learning and development in order to find the realm in which he or she is completely at home and fulfilled. Thus the title of the book, The Four Gates. Who does the book appeal to, Dr. Vogel, and why? Well, this book is really a detailed roadmap that every human being needs. Because, you know what, we all want to learn to live true to ourselves. To direct our life according to its meaning and purpose. Thus, it's really fundamental to everyone. And actually, it should be taught to children as soon as they have enough basic language, as well as all adults. This book is for everyone. Anyone can learn to consciously direct their life to real success and real fulfillment. No matter what your religion, where you come from, or where you're going, if you really want to take charge of your life. 
What would be just one thing you want readers to learn from your book? Just one thing? Oh, there's so many. Well, I tell you, I think fundamentally, I think what I'd like them to come away with is that they are really worthy of the attentiveness to be related to by themselves with utmost respect, with expertise, with unconditional acceptance, with love. If they get that, they will immensely enhance their lives. Tell us more about this main character or scenes that you would like to uh, highlight during this interview. Mm. Well, there are uh, quite a few cheap, uh, scenes and characters. Well, the first scene is when, in this evolutionary tale, this person that we call the Wanderer, because she goes on this quest, lives in the world of murk, stuck in despair, a deep pit of despair. And one day he sees in the distance a realm of beauty and vibrant life and determines to go there. So we have to first determine to get ourselves out of the pit of despair. And at the border, he meets this guide who helps him enter this royal realm. And once he has entered, he, he knows right away he has finally found his home where he's meant to be. At times, the scene is of his progress. At the other times, it's of his resistances that keep him from fulfillment, or at least try to. And also the scenes of how she overcomes those resistances. So the characters are the wanderer who becomes the expert at fulfilling herself in this life. She's the hero as well as the villain at times, in this epic inner quest. Yeah? Uh, the guide, he's at the same time, looks seems common, but is extraordinary. He's the example of how we can relate to ourselves as well as to others with respect, relating to ourselves with respect, with trust, with love. And the king or queen, they symbolize the ideal being we all want to realize. Places? Well, there's first the realm of murk, gray and lifeless, full of confusion, anger, anxiety, depression, all of which are so endemic in our time. That's where many of us live. The royal realm is the realm of beauty and clarity, success, Harmony, health, self-realization. The gates, there are four gates. One is of knowledge, mostly knowledge of self, then the science of self. So becoming really an expert at knowing yourself. The meditation of action, the meditation of action, and culminating in love and devotion. There's one more place the inner court of the royal realm. This is our final evolutionary destination. Here we are freed from lack and need, from limitation and separateness and the consequent loneliness. We are really at home permanently, 
fulfilled. Those are the places and the characters. How would you introduce your book in a sentence or two, just in summation, if you were sharing with a friend? I'd say, here, wait it. <laughs> Experience it. The, the Four Gates illustrates and. Again, very important, it provides an experience. It's so written that you, you go along and experience and thereby evolve to the path of self-understanding, clarity, and final, that is lasting, fulfillment through the wonderful and indispensable relationship with a real teacher that leads to a successful and caring relationship with yourself. The story brings you detailed points of knowledge that guide you on this path through living according to your true identity and thereby freeing yourself from the self-imposed limitations that curtail life. Tell us how this book is unlike others with similar topics. What really sets it apart? Well, first of all, this book is carefully constructed to stimulate direct experience in the reader. Experience of deep, fundamental knowledge, not belief, but the kind of knowledge where you can say, I know this is so because I've experienced it even while I was going through this. And this knowledge we need to conduct our lives meaningfully and successfully it's an evolutionary device for the reader. The book is written from the writer's direct experience, not hearsay or belief or someone else's opinion. And it cultivates the direct experience of the reader. So it is to be experienced deeply within where the recognition of inner truth resides. This allows the reader to discover their true being for themselves and how to live true to that successfully. So more than a story and even more than a teaching, it can be a catalyst for the most meaningful personal transformation. The writing's simple, direct honesty sheds light on your capacity for self-realization. It touches your heart. And it reveals to you a fresh, uncomplicated approach to a life that really works. So in this time, you know, there's so much talk about meditation and body-mind-spirit connection and so on. And you can find that all over in mainstream communications. It's easy to find all kinds of interesting information. It is rare, however, to find expert and personal guidance to the very substance and experience that lead to lasting fulfillment, lasting fulfillment in self-realization. So unique to this book is its realness in sharp contrast to the dogma, the superficial, the theoretical, or even fantasy that we so often find. The Four Gates is utterly straightforward, practical, authentic sharing to the greatest and deepest depths. Sharing of that about us which is beyond time and circumstance 
and condition, the reader experiences within a self-recognition, that real self, the limitless essence that we are. As you are carefully guided to trust self, your experience of your limitlessness and interconnectedness is without doubt. So this is not a quick fix offering superficial how-to formulae. This book offers substantive experience by which sincere readers can change their life involvement from the superficial to the substantive, from the ephemeral, the momentary, to the permanent, from the illusory to the real. And through this transformation, we find within ourselves the ability to achieve real, lasting success and fulfillment and make a positive contribution to our society and to humanity. When and where does your story take place? Well, the setting is not a geographical place nor a time, past, present, or future. It is relevant everywhere and all the time because it very distinctly addresses the human condition in all places and all times. Again, to sum up this work, this great story, what three words would best describe it and describe the characters? Wow. You only want to challenge me, don't you? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I could say the story is engaging. You really get involved. You participate. So it's experiential. And it's universal. It's applicable to everyone, everywhere, all the time. And I'd like to add one fourth point, if I may. It's also uniquely effective. It works. The characters evoke recognition of deepest experience within each one of us. Whether we're wanting or waiting for that consciously now. What would you say was the most challenging part about writing your book? Uh, Even the most fun and rewarding part? Hmm. Well, I consider words as beautiful means of clarifying the world, including our ideas and thoughts and feelings, clarifying them to myself and also to each other. That is what I'm doing with the reader. And that's the great fun for me. I aim to represent the beauty and strength of truth, reality, with words that do it full justice and stimulate growth, not only in the use of language, but also in the ability to experience on subtler and more expansive levels. So the challenge doesn't lie in the words. We all know the words used here. But in the way they are applied, it's a thoroughly focused mode, stream of consciousness, Experiencing the meaning these thoughts convey stimulates 
a steady growth of focus and understanding in your mind. Doesn't everyone want that? I believe we do. And in just wrapping up our discussion, Dr. Vogel, is there anything we haven't covered here that you feel is important for people to know about your book? Well, I, I feel I am assured, and I've heard this from people who've read it now, the sincerely focused reader will experience knowledge that has been an integral part of the human experience for ages, but is so much forgotten. When you allow this experience to sink in and become part of you, you'll accomplish a deep reaching transformation within yourself. Following the loving guidance offered here, you can evolve along with the wanderer. So the story of the wanderer is the story of each one of us. Dr. Vogel, what's the best way to get your book? Uh, Well, it's available through iUniverse, which you can find on the internet, as well as uh, Amazon. It's on Kindle and Nook. Or you can even uh, request it from the ashram. So those are the ways. Well, we appreciate you joining us, Dr. Vogel, with your book, The Four Gates, on iUniverse Radio. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. It was a pleasure to talk with you. iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is produced by TogiNet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge.